Well, we're glad that you are here to join us. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to finish up chapter 2 today. And uh, thinking about today's text, I have one particular question for you to answer today as we read this text. And it's simply this. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for you? If everything else is wiped away, would Jesus be enough? When we say that we are Christians, we are saying that Jesus was enough to save us. And Jesus certainly was. Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection was enough to save us from our sin and to get us off of the path to hell. Jesus has to be enough for salvation because there is no other name by which we must be saved. There is no other God that is coming for, to save His people. There is no other path that our God has provided in order for us to be saved. Jesus has to be enough. The problem that we're going to see in our scripture today is that there are groups of people where Jesus is just not enough for them. When we already know in the context of Colossians that there are new ideas, there's new philosophies, there's new theologies infiltrating the community. And Epaphras, who we saw in chapter 1, he is the founder of this Colossian church, he was concerned about those ideas, those new ideas entering the church family. He was concerned that this church family would compromise their foundational faith and their foundational beliefs for something that was totally unbiblical. In today's text, we're going to look at three groups of people that did that very thing. And it caused their worship, if they even had a worship, to shift from Jesus to something else. It moved their focus away from the true gospel, Jesus, to something totally unbiblical. So look with me today in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter and look at these three different types of people and what it is that they believe they need because to them Jesus is not enough. Let's look at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up with reason, without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that are all, all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. And they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father God, we come to you now thanking you for this beautiful day again. God, we thank you for the worship that we had. God, we thank you that, God, you are enough. Your son Jesus is enough. But, God, we recognize that there are people that do not see your son as enough. God, they need more. And it's not biblical at all. So, God, today help us to recognize where maybe we are falling short in that as well. That, God, maybe we add things to the gospel that shouldn't be there. God, we, we concern ourselves with a lot of things that in the end does not benefit the kingdom. But, God, as we come across false gospels and false philosophies and ideas, God, help us to have the strength, help us to have the courage to stand against it and promote the true gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, let this scripture speak to our hearts. Help it to encourage us and convict us, God, as you see fit. God, we love you, we praise you, and it's in your Son's holy and righteous name that I pray this prayer. Amen. So we know Paul is speaking to the true believers in Jesus. The audience of this particular letter is the church of Colossae, the people who actually follow after Jesus. The issue is those who are outside, those outside people who are now, as the scripture told us today, they are the ones passing judgment and disqualifying those within the church because those people don't adhere to the things that are actually in Scripture. They want more than what the Scripture is offering when the Scripture is enough. But we see with Paul in verse 16, the first word he says is what? Therefore. Now when you see that word in Scripture, it is an important connecting word from one thought to the next. And what we saw last week is that what Paul was saying here is that church, you are alive in Christ. You have been made alive in Jesus. We learned about that last week. A true believer is made alive because Jesus has saved him through his sacrifice, taking all the sins to the cross. And because you have been saved, because you have been made alive in Jesus, now Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Let no one condemn you or disqualify you because your faith is what saves you. The people who are condemning the church have a false gospel mindset and therefore judge through, an uncomprom- through a compromised and unbiblical lens, all in the name of self made righteousness. They hold tight to everything but Jesus. But what are those things? There are three things today I want us to point out that they are doing in the Scripture, those people outside of the church, but also I want us to reflect on it in our own lives because we too can fall into these traps. First off, Jesus is not enough to some of these people. They need the rituals. They need rituals. Look at verses 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These, this first group of people was a group of people who were holding tight to their Jewish roots even after Jesus. 
They still saw these things as needed to keep them in good standing with God. Throughout the Old Testament, there were things that the Jewish people needed to do in order to be reminded, but also to help them stay in good standing with God. Whether it was keeping these restricted diets, whether it was going to festivals and feasts and recognizing, it says, a new moon, which in Jewish times that just meant a new moon represented a new month. And so there was things that they did within that new moon moon time period that was ritualistic to help them set up for the new month but also remembering the sabbath which is important it's important that uh that we still even today as it's called the lord's day we moved it to sunday because that's the day our savior was risen they wanted to remember the sabbath still these rituals were important to the Jewish people and it was an opportunity to do good in the eyes of God. The problem is that when Jesus came, when he died, he resurrected and ascended back into heaven, the need for a lot of these rituals was not necessary. These things previously kept Jewish people on a progression towards holiness, but that was all necessary until Jesus came along. Now there is no longer this need for rituals. There's no longer this need to have to observe all these Jewish rituals. While it may be important to the Jewish heritage and you can still recognize and even participate in those things, this is not what you need to do in order to be saved. You do not have to recognize these things in order to be saved, to be on the path that God has called you on. These rituals are only a foreshadow of the need for the coming Messiah. Perfect example, Passover. Passover, we know the story of the plagues when, when the final plague, that all the Jewish people were told to put the blood over the doorway, right? And if you do that, then God's going to pass over you. And you will be spared from that plague. And they celebrated that Passover. And while it points to the need of a Savior, we now have a Savior, so we no longer have to do this in order to keep our minds on right with the Lord. These are nothing but a foreshadow, or in this case it just says it's a shadow of the things to come. Verse 17, these things are a shadow of the things to come. Now compare that shadow to what he says, substance. Right? Verse 17 says the substance belongs to Christ. A shadow has no substance. It is merely a silhouette of the true things. That's how our shadows work, right? That's how our shadows uh, work. We see our silhouette on the ground as the sun rises. And, and it says all it is is a silhouette. It has no exact purpose. It's just a shadow of the true substance. That is what a Jewish ritual does. A Jewish ritual cannot do what Jesus did for all of us. Rituals cannot save you from hell. Only Jesus can, but sadly, enough churches today spend more time consumed by rituals and preferences and less with Jesus. This is where we come in. The Jewish ritual thing we're not so much concerned about. But what happens is we get so consumed by our own Baptist rituals, our own preferences, that we become so consumed by it that we kind of push Jesus to the side. We become so consumed by a style of music being sung 
than the one the song is supposed to be sung to. We turn things like Sunday school classes and vacation Bible school and other programs and this program and that program, we turn them into golden calves to worship. We take the ritual of tithes and offerings as a proclamation of our importance. Look at me, I give the most. I give the most out of everybody here, so I'm obviously the most holy out of everybody here. Remember about the woman Jesus talked about that only gave the two coins? She gave him two coins. All these religious leaders were looking at her. They saw her two coins, and immediately they were all thinking, that's not enough. Really? That's all you can give? And Jesus said what? She gave more than any of you ever had. That's just my paraphrase of that story. Because it's not about the ritual. It's not about just doing it because that's what somehow makes us holy. Churches have died under the mantra that that's not the way we've done it. Churches literally have died, even in our own county, because that's not the way we used to do it. And I'm not to say that we are like this. I'm not saying that at all. And I believe many churches, because of COVID, have moved away from these empty, habitual rituals and programs and preferences. But if we're not careful, we can too find ourselves focused on more things that are supposed to point us to Jesus than actually being focused on Him. All these things we do are to point us to Jesus, but yet we're more worried about the program than we are the one who it is pointed towards. We must be careful. The people in the time of the Colossian church were more focused on the Jewish rituals of their past than being focused on Jesus. And listen, Jesus is more than rituals, songs, sermons, programs, classes, etc. Jesus is enough, and He is the only one deserving of our praise and our efforts. And while all these things that I'm talking about can be good, if they're not put in their proper place, they can be the very thing that keeps us from actually growing in Jesus. So my question to us in everything we do here at Madden Baptist Church is how can we make more of Jesus in these things that we do, whether it's a ritual, a program, a class, whatever. How can we make more of Jesus and less of ourselves? Not only were, was there a group of people concerned with rituals, but there was another group concerned with idols. They were more concerned by idolatry. Look at verses 18 through 19. Verse 18, Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about version, uh, visions, uh, puffed up with reason, without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. Now we know an idol is anything that takes our worship from God. And God has made it very clear how he feels about idols. He said this in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Simple, clear command from God. You shall have no other gods before me. Now this new religious movements that were coming into this town of Colossae, uh, they were showing examples of this, and Paul points out a few of them in our text. First he says in verse 18, asceticism. Now what in the world is that? It's a religious action that a person would remove all self-pleasures for a spiritual goal. 
Now, at first glance, that might actually sound pretty good. You might say, well, that's fasting, ain't it? That's what fasting is. It's removing a pleasure that we have in order to grow closer to the Lord or simply just denying yourself and taking up your cross. That sounds similar to asceticism, right? But here's the problem. Asceticism has its foundation in religions such as mysticism and Buddhism. Now, both of these religions pursue the idea that you can reach another state of consciousness. Buddhists call it nirvana. Yes, that 90s band that some of y'all grew up with, right? It's, that's where they got the word from. Buddhists talk about reaching this, uh, this, this state of consciousness called nirvana. And to reach nirvana, you must empty yourself of all pleasures and feelings, etc. And once you reach that state, here's where it becomes a problem. You become like God. Meaning, you are one with Him. You are God-like. Now, we are to be like God in the sense that we are to pursue His character, pursue who He is. But even in our own holiness, that does not make us God. We are still His creation. Buddhism and mysticism would push towards this idea that you can be God. This is a false idol that some have pursued in this era, and it is still an issue today in our world because Buddhism is the fourth largest religion in the world. So there is a good chunk, especially in the Eastern Hemisphere, that follows Buddhism. That says if you will empty yourself of all things, you will be God-like. You'll be one with God. Second, Paul mentions worship of angels. Worship of angels. Now let's be clear about angels for a moment. I'm not going to go into detail about this, but too much detail. But angels are heavenly beings, but they are not little gods to worship. Let's be clear about that. Angels are not little gods to worship. They may be messengers from God, but they are not to be worshipped. They may have struck fear in those who saw them, and there are still angels to come that we see in Revelation that will strike fear in many people, but angels are not the object of our worship. We must be careful with that phrase, angel, and truly understand what an angel is. Third, Paul mentions People were going into detail about visions. It's not that having a vision is a bad thing, but these people keep going on about visions and less about God who supposedly gave them that vision. It's the look at what I did mentality. In the name of removing pleasures, worshiping angels and having these visions, these people puff up their egos. They puff up their ego to show how much more spiritual they are than others. That's why they think they can pass judgment on these Christians in this church. They're out there there saying, we're more spiritual than y'all and you're supposedly the church people. What ends up happening? They only do the things that will fill their ego and they end up pursuing the idol of spirituality and they quit pursuing God. Verse 19 says what? That they do not hold fast to the head. Who's the head? Christ. Jesus is the head of the church and is deserving of all our efforts and focus and our self-denial. We don't do spiritual things for people to look at us. We don't get up here and sing and use our gifts of praising God through our voices To show off, to look at me, look what I can do and you can't. No, that's not what it's about. We don't do things for people to look at us, to praise us. 
This is why I have a really big problem with a lot of people who come up behind pulpits and try to speak in tongues in the middle of their service. Number one, tongues are used to preach the gospel to the lost. You read Acts 2 and that's how you will find tongues being presented. Tongues were used to preach the gospel to the lost. But tongues never were to show how spiritually mature someone was. To act, act like that they are on a higher pedestal than anybody else. It is certainly not an act that saves your soul from hell. And when tongues are being used in public, somebody has to be able to interpret it. Who is the interpreter? No one knows. But there is one. If I was to speak in tongues right now, Besides most of you being freaked out by that, somebody in here should be able to understand what I said. That's biblical. But the problem is there are many people that stand behind pulpits and will speak tongues to show how spiritually mature they are, and yet no one can understand. It is not spiritual maturity. It is gibberish. That's what it is. That's why I have a problem with people doing that, because it is not God glorifying, it is simply self-boasting, self-righteousness that somehow I am better than you. Let me show it in talking gibberish like my one-year-old. Right? It's nonsense. But somehow that's what happens when we get caught up in these idols, in this idol of spiritual, spirituality. We make more of ourselves and less about Jesus. And that is not biblical. Because John told us in John 3.30, what did he say? He must increase, but I must decrease. John wrote, he, Jesus, must increase. That is my life, is to make much of Jesus and less of myself. So if I do anything spiritual and I want to get the glory out of it all, then I have messed it up and I've made it an idol. We all have to be careful of that. We all have to be careful of these things. We may not be worshiping angels, but what are we worshiping? That's not of Jesus. We were made to make more of Jesus and pursuing idols. Making it all about you is far from that purpose. Which is why Paul tells us to run from it. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14, he says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. Don't tiptoe away from it. Flee. Run as fast as you can away from idolatry. The last thing we see is that we have a group of people that's more concerned with laws than they are Jesus. Look at verses 20 through 23. It says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that are all that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and self in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let me first say the law of God is good. All right, I want to say that first and foremost. The law of God is good, but what we're discussing here is the laws being supposedly upheld by false teachers. These false teachers come in and they say, do this, do that. You act this way, act that way. This is what's going to make you a better person. Anybody ever done that, looking at somebody that's come in that didn't look like you? We create these laws. 
says in verse 22 that these laws are according to human precepts and teachings. And in verse 23, we see that they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They cannot stop a person from doing wrong. Any doing wrong, any man-made law can sound great, but cannot make a person do right. Let me give you an example. I'm going to hit, I'm going to step on everybody's toe, including mine, probably. Speed limits. Speed limit signs. In case y'all didn't know, speed limits were a law. Right? All over our roads, we have speed limit signs that, that are man's law to tell us how fast it is okay to drive on a particular road. To go over that speed limit would subject you to a citation which would require, require a penalty fee. Too much over the speed limit, though, and it could be worse for you. And that all sounds great. We do need to keep our roads safe, right? But here's the thing. People still fail to follow that law. Even with all those reminders periodically down the road, reminding you 45, 55, 65, those are not suggestions, right? It's the law that those are the numbers that determine that it is safe to drive on that road. And it's constantly reminding us, but many of us buzz right on by without giving two thoughts to the number on the sign. And I venture to say many of us Christians, including your pastor, are guilty of that breaking that law. But what am I trying to say here? Is that laws don't stop people from doing bad things. They don't. They might make us contemplate the penalty, but so many people still do wrong. Just because it's illegal to murder, there are still people who murder daily. Speed limit signs. Many of us still speed right on by. God gave us ten commandments and a book full of laws in Leviticus. And yet mankind still sinned and sinned and sinned some more. There is no law that can save mankind from their sin. Or save them from an eternity in hell. And while laws are good, only Jesus can save us from hell. We cannot out-legislate ourselves to make us better people. We cannot continue to add more and more laws and think that's what's going to get us to heaven. See, the problem with everything that I've mentioned today, whether it's rituals, it's laws, or it's idols, everything is about us. What can I do to make us better? What can we do to make us look better, to make us feel like we're doing right? Look at this offering that I'm giving. Look at this ritual I'm doing. Look how spiritual I am. Look at these gifts that I have. I'm following the law better than you, you sinner. I've only committed two. How many did you commit? Three? Like, it makes it all about us. Listen, again, we're not here to put on a show. You're not to walk in this church and put on a show so people may think you're good. We are to come in this church desiring nothing more than to glorify God with everything that we can offer up. God is deserving of everything because he's given us everything. He sent his son Jesus to this earth to take on the sins of mankind to the cross. Not because you deserve a chance, but because he loved you enough to give that to you. We didn't deserve Jesus' sacrifice. 
We didn't deserve his resurrection, but he gave it to us anyway. That's why Jesus is more than enough. He's more than enough because he is all that you could ever need. He is more than enough because his salvation given to us is enough to save us from hell. Jesus is more than enough to overcome your sins, to overcome your struggles at home. He's able to overcome your addictions, your shames, regrets, and shortcomings. Jesus is all you need. Do you believe that today? Jesus is all you need. You don't need to show off. You don't need to put on a mask and hide your pain and your imperfections. All you need to do is seek Jesus because he is all that you need. Quit trying. Quit thinking that you need to be to have this mega spiritual moment to be a better Christian. Quit thinking you need to follow the law better in order to be a better Christian. Quit adding more to Jesus and just simply rest in Jesus. That's all you need. Jesus will take care of the rest. If you want to mature in your faith, only Jesus can give that. And if you're lost, you need to be saved. Only Jesus can help you with that. Here in a moment, we're going to go into a time of response. If you recognize today that you are lost, that you need to be saved, I want to ask you to step forward in a moment. When the music starts playing, step forward. Come up to the front and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. Maybe today you've recognized that you're making this Christian walk more about you and less about Jesus. Maybe if you're able, you would want to come down to this altar and seek out repentance and forgiveness. Say, Jesus, I've made more of myself than of you lately in this church, and I need to repent of my sins today. Maybe today you're going through some difficult times. It's hard for you to come to church without a mask on. I'm not talking about the COVID mask. I'm talking about a, a personal mask that pretends that everything is good, that everything is great. All the while you knew you were chewing out your kids on the way to church this morning. All the while you knew it was hard to get out that door this morning. We put on that mask as soon as we step out of the car. Or we try to put it on real quick before anybody sees. Maybe you just need to take that mask off and come to this front and pray to God to help you through it. Maybe today you just need to simply come and praise God because He is enough. God, I praise you that you are enough. I don't need anything else in this world. We sing that song all the time. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus. We need to learn how to live that life. Because all the things of this world will one day perish. One day all this is coming to an end. Jesus is all that we need because he is eternal. Will you respond faithfully today? Will you respond to the Lord? Won't you hear me again? Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the love that you have bestowed upon us. God, we thank you that you have called us to salvation for those of us who are saved. But God, today, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray today that you would call them to salvation. God, I pray for us as a church, that we wouldn't be so consumed with trying to out-spiritualize out others. 
God, we wouldn't be in competition with each other. We wouldn't try to be more mature than the other person, but we would all pursue you, God, and you are the one who, who makes us mature in, your faith, in the faith. God, you are the one who gives us life. You are the one who gives us direction and vision. God, help us to not make it much about us, but make it all about you. God, you are the only one deserving of all the praise and the glory. God, we thank you for speaking to our hearts. Push us in how we need to respond today. Help us, God, to come in repentance. God, help us to come with our burdens and our, and our difficulties and lay them at your feet. God, help us to praise you today. God, we love you. We give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen.